0: Morning, church. How you guys doing this morning? And uh, we're looking forward to having a great time in God's Word. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm Dominic. one of the pastors here. Filling in for our lead pastor, Pastor Adam Zamora. And uh, looking forward to having him back next Sunday, starting off a brand new sermon series, Forged in Fire, the trailer that you guys just saw. Uh, We won't be starting that this week today, but we'll be starting that next Sunday. Uh, Sunday, we're really looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to that sermon series for a long time now, and so it's going to be a good one. Make sure you're here uh, next week. Uh, but uh, so, if you're expecting Pastor Adam here this morning, I apologize. Uh, you guys are stuck with me, and uh, but I'll make sure that you guys get out of here on time to get the cracker barrel, or whatever you guys are going to do uh, for your lunch plans uh, today. Matthew chapter four, four is where we're going to be today. We're going to be talking about one of the most important practices and principles of. The Christian life. Of course, that's fishing. <laughs> fishing for people, to be to be specific. We're going to be talking about um, evangelism and in, in our place in uh, reaching the world with the gospel. How many of you enjoy fishing? So there's a couple of you guys. All all men enjoy all men enjoy fishing. Um, and uh, to be honest with you, I'm not good at fishing. I've never been good at it, and uh, I, I tried it many times. Just one of those things that never uh, never took. I do know a few things about fishing. One of the things I know is, uh, from what I've been told, is that there are a lot of different kinds of fishing, and if you want to change the different type of fishing that you're doing, or the different type of fish that you want to catch, well, it changes everything and all the procedures and everything that you have to do. So there's a lot of different types of fishing. We have, uh, there is uh, deep sea fishing, there's lake fishing, fly fishing, Freshwater, water, salt water, net fishing. There's thousands of different types of fish that you can catch. And uh, that's not me in that picture, just so you guys know. Um, that's someone else who I don't know. They look like they're pretty good at it. But depending on what you're fishing for and where you're fishing, you have to change what you're doing. So if you are fly fishing, that's a whole lot different than deep sea fishing. You have to change your uh, lure, your bait, tactics, time of day, uh, all the different things depending on what type of fish you're trying to catch and what type of fishing you are doing. When you change what you fish for, it changes everything else. It's an important thought I want you to keep in the back of your mind this morning. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to meet two fishermen who would change what they fished for, and that change would completely alter the course of their life. They're going to change what they fish for, And it would completely alter the narrative of their life. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he, Jesus, saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed Jesus. So great story here. Our story begins with Jesus in Capernaum, walking along the Sea of Galilee. And I want you to picture it just for a second here. Picture what's going on here. Jesus, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and as he's walking, he can see the sea, and he can see fishermen on their boats. Perhaps it's early in the morning. He can see fishermen on their boats trying to catch different fish. He can hear uh, the fishermen out at sea, their gruff voices barking orders at each other. He can uh, see what's going on, perhaps at the market down at the way. He can smell the sea water on the air and perhaps fresh caught fish. And, and Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. And, and this is a big deal because he's just about to call his first two disciples. And he, only call, he only called 12. This is going to be the first two disciples that he calls. This is essentially at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And so this is, this is a big moment. So Jesus, he wa- he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, all the, He can see the seagulls, he can hear the seagulls, and, and all of these things. And, and he sees Peter and Andrew off the shore. And you can read the other Gospels. There's actually a bigger story. It's condensed here in Matthew chapter 4. If you want some more details, look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the other Gospels, they're, they're in all of them. But Jesus is along the Sea of Galilee, and he, he sees Peter and Andrew. He's about to call them. And you would think the first two disciples that Jesus is going to call, two out of 12, just 12, you would think that Jesus would... would Go up to Peter and Andrew and give some big, eloquent speech, right? This is the first two disciples he's about to call. Peter, we know Peter, he would go on to preach Pentecost. So he's, he's an important figure among the 12 disciples. You would think that when Jesus is about to call his first two disciples, he would make some big speech, some really long uh, message, some eloquent, formal speech to the disciples, these first two disciples. That's not what he does, he calls his first two disciples with a simple phrase, right? He says to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Again, this is kind of anticlimactic, right? That you would expect Jesus. God in the flesh, calling the 12 disciples, the first two out of the 12, you would think he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna stop everything. He's going to say, oh, everybody quiet. I'm about to preach a message for the next hour, two hours. And you'd think he'd have these real formal introductions between Peter and Andrew, maybe hand out some liability waivers, insurance policy. Look, this is going to happen over the next three and a half years. Stuff is going to go down. You guys want to be prepared for that before you sign on the dotted line. You would think that Jesus would do He doesn't do any of that. M- Matthew 4, 19, he says follow me. So why does Jesus call his first two disciples essentially with just two words? Here's why. Because those two words, just just those two words in themselves have the power to completely change a person's life. Follow me. Just take those two words, follow me, You know what Jesus is communicating to Peter and Andrew by saying, follow me? Jesus wasn't just saying in a literal sense, Follow me where I'm going. He was saying in a broad, all-inclusive sense, stop the current direction of your life and follow me in all things. Don't just literally follow me. I want you to follow me in everything that you do, everything that you are, everything that you hope to be, everything that you will be. I want you to follow me in all things. It wasn't just saying, yeah, get up and follow me. He was saying, in everything you do and everything you are, follow me. That's what Jesus does. He gives us a completely new direction in our life. That's what he's giving to Peter and Andrew. You you see that. He's giving them a completely new direction. They would no longer be fishermen. They were going to follow Jesus for the next three and a half years, and then after that, they would follow Jesus the rest of their life, even though Jesus wasn't with them. The Holy Spirit would be with them. Completely changes the direction of their life. Those two words, follow me, everything changes. Jesus doesn't just change who you are. He changes where you're going. He changes where you're headed. He changes what you're doing. He changes your hopes and your passions and your dreams for the future. Everything changes. It's a completely new direction for Peter and Andrew and for all of us when we make that decision to follow Jesus. It reminds me, of an antique shop in a little town that I used, not a little town, but a, a town that I used to live in. And this antique shop was just like any other antique shop. You go into this antique shop and there's rows and rows of coins, collectibles, and trinkets, right? You see vinyl records and old trading cards and um, uh, faded paintings and, in the antique store, just like any other antique store. This antique store, I don't know what the deal was, I guess maybe they weren't doing too well or whatever, Uh, but they sold a a portion of their space to a local coffee shop. And obviously, I like coffee, so I was really, really pumped about it. Uh, It was gonna be a good spot for a coffee shop. And you know how it goes with antique stores, is uh, antique stores, they're great, right? If you go to antique stores, awesome. They're great, they're great. But antique stores, they're old. Antique stores, just like all antique stores, What the selling point is is that they're looking to the past. They're selling the past, right? Literally, they're selling the past That's why they're called antique stores. They're antiques But this local coffee shop That purchased or leased this space they started to renovate this portion of the space that they had Purchased and they start to renovate it and it looked really cool And this local coffee shop was just it was a great coffee shop And when they got finished with the space the difference between the antique store and the coffee shop couldn't be more stark on the one hand you had this antique store, there's cobwebs and, and there's a, just a few customers and then in the coffee shop, just feet away, you have young families, single adults, all these like cool looking people coming in there and there's all these really creative coffee drinks and, and you saw there's this, this life and energy and buzz in the coffee shop in the antique store. Well, you know how antique stores go. And so the difference couldn't be more stark. On the one hand, you had the past. On the other hand, you had the future. That's what Jesus does. You see, this is who we we were at the antique store. This is who we were before Jesus. And then the moment Jesus says, follow me, he renovates our life. He restores our life. He completely changes us. He gives us a new direction so that we aren't this old person anymore. Our selling point isn't our past. We aren't stuck in our past. He gives us a new future. He gives us a new direction. All things are become new. And you see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What a great verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are become new. The moment Jesus says, follow me, and we get up and we follow him, all things become new. And this is the life that we have as believers. This is the life that we live as Christians. This is the life, as you sit in your seat this morning, you have today in Jesus Christ. A new creature doesn't live and behave and function and think and move like the old one. It's been recreated and redirected and rerouted onto a new path. Those two words, follow me, are what does it. We have a new direction because of Jesus. But we also have a new leader. You see that? And he saith unto them, follow me. When Jesus spoke those two words, follow me, to Peter and Andrew, he was establishing himself as their new leader. They were to follow him from now on. Implicitly, he was calling them to deconstruct whatever leadership structure was currently governing their lives and to reconstruct it with Christ as the head so that Jesus had the final say in all matters of their life. From now on, Peter and Andrew would not be the leaders of their own life. Jesus would be the leader of their life. They would speak as Jesus spoke. They would schedule their day as Jesus uh, uh, told them was appropriate. They would serve as Jesus would serve. They would travel when Jesus traveled, as Jesus traveled. They would do what Jesus did. They would learn at Jesus' feet because he was the new leader in their life. To follow Jesus is to discontinue following yourself. To follow Jesus means that you are no longer the leader of your life. He is. You see the Second 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, the Apostle Paul says, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, watch this, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, the leadership structure of our life ought to reflect that statement. I do not live unto myself, I live unto Jesus Christ. See, whether we mean to or not, we have all created a hierarchy of leadership in our life. I have a quick thought exercise for you this morning. Hopefully it'll be helpful to you. It's it's illustrated on the picture here. The person or item at the top of this pyramid is the person who essentially governs your life. And you can see all the things that we value that we can place at the top. We value Jesus, money, kids, politics, spouse, education, family, phone, hobbies, sports, food, entertainment, job, house, church, and really the list could be endless and infinite. But these are kind of the big ones. So whatever we place at the top is what governs our life. It's what we make our decisions in light of. It's really who uh, gives us our, our priority. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, which one is at the top in my life? And before you all say the correct answer, which is Jesus, I want you to think about it first. How do you know which one goes at the top? Well, ask yourself, which one wins in a conflict? So let's just take two of them. Let's just take hobby and family. How do we know which, one's, which one takes a higher priority? Well, If your hobby is in conflict with your family, which one wins? If there's the hobby that you want to do, and then there's a family, there's family time that you need, which one wins in that conflict? Which one most often wins in that conflict? Whichever one wins is at the the top of the pyramid. Then ask yourself, well, let's just say your hobby, you place, your, your hobby wins when there's a conflict with your family, okay? Your hobby is above your family. Is anything above your hobby? If the answer is no, well then your hobby goes to the top of the pyramid. Now let's take Jesus, and see he's kind of the most important person. Let's take Jesus. If Jesus is in conflict with, let's just say your money, well, which one wins? If there's Jesus in money and there's a conflict, which one wins? Well, that's a good question. Well then ask yourself, is Jesus anywhere to be found in your money? If Jesus is nowhere to be found in your money, well then money is more important and more valuable than Jesus. It goes at the top of the pyramid or at least goes above Jesus. And this is a tough one for many believers because money is so tangible. It's literally value. And so it is always or often in conflict with Jesus. And that is the hierarchy of leadership in our life. Which one goes at the top? Jesus was saying to Peter and Andrew, I want to be at the top. Everything else comes below that. In everything else, I want to govern. In our lives, Jesus is telling us this morning, just as, he's telling, just as he told Peter and Andrew, and you see this all over scripture, Jesus says, I want to be first in your life. I want to be first in your finances. I want to be first in your marriage. I want to be first in your family. I want to be first in your home. I want to be first in your pursuits. I want to be the leader in your life because we are followers of Jesus Christ. So, is he? Is he? Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, follow me. Place me at the top. Allow me to lead your life from now on. And I want you to take this home. Hopefully you can kind of burn that into your memory. Which one do you value? Who's at the top? And and it's kind of uncomfortable when you start to think about it because you start to think about what you actually do place at the top. If there's something going on with the kids and there's Jesus, which one wins? If there's a church and entertainment, which one wins? If there is a hobby and your spouse, which one wins? If there's education and church, which one wins? See, these are things that we need to think about. To follow Jesus means that he's our new leader. It also means he's commanded us to pursue him. This is a cool idea. Look back at Matthew chapter 4, verse number 19. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. So if Peter and Andrew truly wanted to follow Jesus, if they were serious about Jesus becoming their new leader, there was only one way to respond to Jesus' call to follow him. There's only one way they could respond. is to get up out of their boat and follow Jesus. They couldn't follow Jesus and stay in the boat. They couldn't be a follower of Jesus and stay put. They had to pursue Jesus. They straightway left their nets and followed Jesus. They got up and pursued To follow someone means that you are pursuing them, and Peter and Andrew would follow Jesus all throughout Israel. For the next three and a half years, wherever Jesus went, they would follow Jesus. You know, it's estimated that when Jesus was on earth, he traveled 3,000 miles, over 3,000 miles. Most of that probably on foot. To put that into perspective, because we think 3,000 miles, that's just a big number. To put that into perspective, that would be like us traveling on foot from uh, San Diego, California, La Jolla, all the way to Boston, Massachusetts, on foot. Watch this, on dirt roads. That's what these disciples were doing. When Jesus says, follow me, that's what he's telling them. I want you to follow me, and that's where they're going to travel. If we're gonna follow Jesus in this life, It's going to require that we continue to move forward and pursue him. We can't stay where we are. Thank God for where he's brought you. What does he have for you next? Thank God for the victories he's given you in the past, but what are the victories he needs to give you in the future? Thank God for where you've come from, but where do you need to go next? Thank God and be content with where you are, but what needs to happen next in your life? Thank God for the steps of faith that you've already taken, but what step do you need to take next? Thank God for what he's done in your family and in your house and in your life, but what else does he need to do in your family, in your house, in your life? Thank God for what he's done in the lives of your children, but what else does he need to do? Thank God for what he's done in your marriage, but what else needs to be done in your marriage? Thank God for how you've grown in your faith, but how do you need to grow still in your faith? Where do you need to go next? We need to be continually pursuing Jesus Christ. We can't follow Jesus and stay in the boat. So what's your boat? What boat are you stuck in this morning? See, for many of us, it's the boat of comfort. That's what it would have been for the disciples. Many believers today are stuck in the boat of comfort. I'll come to church, but don't ask me to come every single week. I got stuff to do. I'll come to church, Pastor Dominic, but don't ask me to serve. I'll come to church, but don't ask me to be in a small group. I'm going to follow Jesus. But reading my Bible every day and having a relationship with God like that, that's a lot to ask. What boat do you need to step out of? We can't follow Jesus and stay in the boat. Maybe he's given you victories in the past. Maybe he's given you victories just recently. But what victories need to come next? See, when was the last time God moved you to do something you were afraid to do, and you did it? When was the last time following God meant stepping out of your comfort zone and you stepped out? That's what I want in my life. That's what you want in your life. When there's something I'm afraid of and there's there's a step of faith that God is leading me towards but it looks dark and it looks like an abyss and it looks like I don't know what's going to happen. It looks like the unknown. That's the step that we need to take. What happens when you step out? I'll tell you what, God's going to meet you there. He's going to give you that victory. He's going to allow you to grow spiritually. When was the last time you did something for God that made you uncomfortable. Now, does that mean being a good Christian means that you're always going to be uncomfortable? No. But often what accompanies growth is discomfort. You don't believe me? Just try to build muscle at the gym. You're going to experience discomfort. To follow Jesus means that we're pursuing Jesus, and this is the journey of a lifetime. This is what the Apostle Paul understood. Look at this. I love these two verses. Maybe one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 13 and 14. Brethren, he says... Brothers, sisters, I count not myself to have apprehended. I am not the finished product. But this one thing I do, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. There's great or it's not great, but I'm going to forget those things either way and reach forth unto those things which are before. I still got ground to cover, he says. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling on God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not just walking forward. I am pressing forward. The Apostle Paul wasn't satisfied with staying where he was. He was constantly Constantly reaching forward. Our journey isn't finished. And yes, our journey is finished when one day God calls us home, but until that day, we are on a journey. We are on a road trip. We are on a marathon. We're on a deployment. We're on a tour. We are an instrument in His service until that day. I don't know if you ever heard of um, a violinist, a great violinist named Fritz Kreisler. He lived in the 20th century. He was a violinist. He earned uh, a fortune with his concerts and, and competi- uh, concert, his compositions. But he generously gave it all away, all the money he had earned. And so one day, he's, uh, one of his trips, he found a violin seller. And he, he wanted to buy that particular violin, this beautiful instrument. But he didn't have the money for it because he always gave away his money. And so he did some work. And later on, when he had saved up enough money, he came back to that violin seller, and he said, hey, I want to buy this violin from you. The seller had already sold that violin to a collector, though. So Fritz Chrysler he tracked down the collector that now owned the violin. He went to his house, knocked on the door, and said, hey, I hear you have this violin. Can I purchase it from you? I have the money. And the collector said, this is my favorite violin. I, I can't sell it to you. This is, my, this is my favorite piece in my collection. Fritz Chrysler is about to walk away when he got this idea. He asked the collector, he said, okay, fine. Before you consign this violin to silence for all time, just let me play it once. Okay, fine. So Fritz Chrysler he goes to the man's home. He takes the violin and he starts playing the violin. Obviously beautiful music, fills the house. This collector is so stirred emotionally. He says to Fritz Kreisler, I cannot keep that music locked away inside my home. Fritz Kreisler, take this violin. Go share your music with the world. Just as that violinist couldn't allow that violin to be locked away for all time, comfortable, tucked away in silence, God can't allow us to be tucked away in the comfort of our own home in silence as believers. Why? Because he has a bigger part to play with your life. Just as that violin was meant to create beautiful music, we are meant to do something for Jesus Christ. We were never meant to stay in the boat like Peter and Andrew. We were meant to climb out of that, to follow Jesus, to pursue Jesus wherever he may send us. See, this is is what we were meant to do. God has called us, like Peter and Andrew, to step out of our boat and pursue him. There are souls God wants us to reach. There are people he wants us to help lead to him. There's a job that God has for us. To follow Jesus means that you are on the adventure of a lifetime. There's no greater uh, pursuit in the human experience than to follow Jesus. Now, it's at this point you might be thinking, okay, okay, I thought we were talking about evangelism today. Why aren't we talking about evangelism? I thought we were talking about reaching the lost and being fishers of men. We are. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse number 19 again. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, you're right. This message is about evangelism. So we now understand that Jesus... Means following Jesus means that we have a new direction, right? Following Jesus means that he is our new leader. Following Jesus also means that we are to pursue him. But it begs the question, towards what? When we follow Jesus, he changes our direction. So what's our new direction? Jesus is our leader. What is he leading us to? Jesus wants us to pursue him him to where? Towards people. Towards people. Our new direction positions us towards people. His leadership points us to people. We're to move in the direction and pursue Jesus in the direction of people. Everything in the Christian life is for the salvation of people. Peter and Andrew knew that if they were gonna follow Jesus, their purpose was to make more followers of Jesus. They would no longer be fishers of fish, they would be fishers of men. They were gonna change what they were fishing for. Followers are fishers. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you are a fisher of men. That's just who you are, it's what you do. It is now your new life calling. If, if we are a follower of Jesus, we are a fisher of people. And I, To be honest with you, I only have one good fishing story. Because like I said, I'm not a good uh, fisherman. Um, I only have one good fishing story because um, it's it's something that God didn't give me that gift. But the biggest fish I caught, I caught with my brothers, with a slingshot, a two-by-four with a nail at the end of it, in a black trash bag. That's how I caught the biggest fish of my life, and that's all I got. So one day, me and my two brothers— I have an older brother and younger brother. Me and my brothers, were, um, we, were, we were just walking around the backwoods uh, behind the apartments where we lived when we were teenagers. And in the woods, in these backwoods behind our apartments, there was this little bitty stream that kind of made its way through the backwoods. And so me and my brothers were out there doing whatever uh, teenagers do in the woods, uh, breaking sticks, and I, I don't know, whatever we were doing. And all of a sudden, we hear this big crashing noise. What in the world's going on? You hear this big old huge crashing noise. We thought it might have been a raccoon or a deer. And so we ran to the noise. Why we ran to the noise, I don't know. But we run to the noise. And, all, and, we, and we see where the noise is coming from. This little stream. In this stream are two massive salmon. And I, I, they, were, they, were, they were like that. You know what I mean? They're big salmon. And so me and my brothers, were like, we got to catch this thing. What do we have? All we had was a slingshot with some marbles, right? It's like, shoot the thing with the slingshot. So we started shooting the, 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 the big old salmon with the slingshot. The slingshot broke, and we ran out of marbles. So like, okay, what do we do? We don't have a slingshot. wasn't going to kill it anyway. So what do we do? Start looking around, start digging around for a stick. Amazingly enough, we find this long two by four just happened to be near this stream and there's two nails sticking up out of the two by four. So perfect, here we go. We grab the two by four, we start whacking this poor salmon and we hit it and when we hit it, we follow through and we kind of push it towards the shore bed, the, bed, the shore of the, uh, of the stream. And so we have it pinned there. So like, okay, it's like a dog who catches the, the, the car, right? You don't know what to do with it when you have it. Okay, what do we do now? Uh, lift it up, okay, lift it up out of the, out of the, uh, the stream, we have it there all right, what do we do now, we can't lug this thing around all the way to the apartments, everyone's going to think we're weird, so Matthew, my, little, my older brother, go back to the house, get a big black trash bag, come back and we'll, and we'll deal with it, so okay, fine we, we get the, ble- the black trash bag put it in the trash bag lug it over our shoulders and start hiking home with it in our apartment, once we get it home we're like, okay, we have it, now what again, like the dog, who catches the car what do we do with it most obvious thing in our teenage brain, we stick it in the tub. So we get the thing, we stick it in the tub, and uh, okay, what do we do with it now? It's dead, obviously. And so we get this other bride idea. At our church, there was this guy who taxidermied. He mounted animals. It's like, oh, give him a call. Okay. We give him a call, and then He says, yeah, we'll do it. We'll mount the thing for you. And so we uh, bring the fish, the dead fish, later on that week to church. We give it to him. Bam, we have a taxidermied fish. And I'll show you guys, just in case you think I'm exaggerating. Bam, there it is. All these years later, probably 20 years later, it's big, right? I'm proud of it to this day. That's all I got. That's the story. That's the only fish. That is literally the biggest fish I've ever caught. So needless to say, Fishing is not my calling in life. Maybe it's yours, it's not mine. It's not what I'm called to do. You know what we're all called to do? called to be fishers of men. We're all called to reach the lost. I may not be good at a lot of things. I may not be meant to do a lot of things. I may not have a lot of gifts. You know what God has called me to do? You know what he has equipped me to do? You know what he has gifted me to do? Is to follow Jesus to people, to reach the lost. To be a follower of Jesus means that you are endeavoring to lead people to Jesus. Just as we know the purpose of being a fisherman is to catch fish, the purpose of being a Christian is to catch uh, more people, is to make more Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a fisher of men. Acts chapter 1 verse number 8, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said you shall receive power from the Holy Ghost. To what end? To be witnesses unto me. Christ has empowered us with the Holy Spirit for the express purpose of reaching our world with the gospel. And does the Holy Spirit do many other things in our life? Yes. He does. But one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's commanded us to go, Jesus has. Look chap- Mark chapter 16, verse number 15, and he said to them, Go ye into all the world. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. And again in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Maybe you're thinking, okay, okay, fine. I need to be a fisher of men, but how do I do that? Start conversations with friends. Invite a neighbor to church. Take some church invitations with you. Join your small group for open house outreach. Be a part of Saturday outreach. Pray for an opportunity to evangelize. Build a friendship with an unbeliever. You see, this season, this season at Desert Hills is a perfect opportunity to reach people. The whole purpose of our open house is to reach out to our community with the gospel. Is it going to cost a lot of money? Yes. Is it going to require us, all of us, serving somewhere? Yes. Is it going to require hundreds of us being a part of outreach? Yes. But we have been called by Jesus to reach our world with the gospel. We are not fishers of fish. We are fishers of men. Yes, the cost is great, but our calling is greater. We've been called to something bigger than just this life. We've been called to something greater. And I wanna show you why this is important. I wanna show you why this is important. Look one last time, just humoring me one last time. Look at Matthew chapter four, verse number 19. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's completely changing the narrative of of their life, yes. But he's changing their pursuit from an earthly pursuit to a heavenly pursuit. They were gonna catch fish. That is a earthly pursuit to catching men being fishers of men. This is a heavenly pursuit. And I love that Jesus uses a fishing metaphor because just as a fisherman is pursuing fish, we're all pursuing something as well. We're all pursuing something. This morning, we're pursuing lots of things. Most of the time, we're, we're pursuing good things. We're pursuing family, relationships, relationships. Uh, we're pursuing a better life for ourselves, a better home, a better car, a better vehicle, better finances, better health. We want our children to have a better life than we had. We're pursuing happiness for ourselves, our spouse, and our loved ones. We want to have fun experiences, and we want to live a good, full life. And many of those things, almost all of those things, are good things to pursue. I mean, should you not want your spouse to be happy? Should you not want to pursue um, a better life instead of fun experiences? Do you want to have miserable experiences? These are fine things to pursue. Here's the difference, though. They're temporary things. When you pursue the salvation of a soul, hear me out here, you are pursuing the one thing, the one thing in this universe that lasts for eternity. Matthew 16, verse number 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give In exchange for his soul. When we follow Jesus, he fundamentally changes what we're able to pursue in this life. As followers of Jesus, we've been given the supernatural ability to uh, help make an eternal difference in people's lives. When you share the message of Jesus with others, you are affecting change on a heavenly level. As fishers of men, I live an earthly life and I make a heavenly impact. You see, everything I do as a fisher of men I am making a heavenly impact when I'm reaching the lost. I no longer am just confined to this world and to this dirt place. I can make a heavenly impact. This is not something we have to do. But this is the greatest thing we could do in this life. Why should we be fishers of men? Why should we evangelize? Because that's what Jesus did. He was our example. God's not calling us to do something that He didn't do or that He wasn't willing to do. Long before He called us to be an evangelist of His message, He called and sent His own Son. Before He called us to go, He called His Son to go. Jesus Himself is our example. He didn't stay in the comfort of heaven. He chose rather to step into our uh, world and robe Himself in our human body. God didn't just call Jesus to go into our world And God called Jesus to die for our world. Look at this. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and sins, or in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Blotting it out. Which is contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Jesus didn't just go into this world. He gave himself for the world. God wants to heal all people. And he proved it through the cross. That's his example to us. And that's why we should become fishers of men. That's why this is important. If it was important enough for Jesus to come to our world to die for us, then I think it's important for us. In 1997, the government commissioned the Washington Monument to be renovated. And the New York Times reported that workers discovered graffiti on Uh, on the Washington Monument that was inscribed in the 1800s onto the side of it, only it was different graffiti than what you see today on the sides of buildings. This is what this graffiti said, again, from the 1800s. Whoever is the human instrument under God in the conversion of one soul erects a monument to his own memory more lofty and enduring than this. See, there are many things in our life that don't matter. There are many things in our life that do matter. There's only one thing in our life that matters forever. And that's what happens to the human soul. So we ask ourselves this question. Will we be fishers of men? Will we step out of our boat, whatever that is, and be fishers of men for Jesus Christ?